Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. If you have it on your phone, it would be a great time to open up your Bible app. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2, which is a second message in a series that we just began last week. Joshua moving forward with God. It's a story. It's a beautiful narrative. It's a, it's a, it's a narrative that draws us in to understand what God has for the people of Israel. Spiritually speaking, he's speaking to us today as well. As the church, as Israel was in the first century, this, this nation that was to bless other nations by becoming a people of God, a community of God, moving forward together into a land to be a blessing, as we discovered last week. To be a blessing not only for the people and members of that community, but for others that lived outside of that community, other nations, other peoples. And we realized last week that the whole message was moving forward with God as Joshua prepared the people for this great adventure to inherit a land that God had promised. It was a land filled with milk and honey. It was an inheritance. It was the land he calls twice in Joshua 1, the land of rest. It was God's rest. God offers that rest to all people that come into the community of faith. And so as we move forward with this, we're learning about this movement of God and we're seeing how God has called us in the South Bay to be that people for all peoples, to be a community that offers God's rest for all people. And what we discover in Joshua chapter 2, at the very beginning of this narrative, at the beginning of this story, we meet a very significant woman. And you might otherwise think that she's insignificant. That one life doesn't matter. As Tommy began this morning mentioning the fact that we are celebrating the life of Martin Luther King this weekend. One man did make an indelible mark in society for all time. And his impact impacts us today and continues. One person, and I doubt whether Martin Luther woke up one day and realized it would be him. And yet he changed the way we think about equality, how we should be thinking about equality and valuing all people. And what we find in Joshua chapter 2 is a woman of disrepute. She's a member of the Canaanite community. She's insignificant because we discover very early on in Matthew, or excuse me, in Joshua chapter 2, that she's a woman. She's a harlot. She's a Canaanite. And she's a woman in this community. And yet she, her life counts. And she demonstrates what faith is all about. Not simply for people inside the community, but those people that are outside the community of faith that meet God in a unique way. And we learn two important things about faith from the life of Rahab. Don't think for a minute that her life story ends in Joshua chapter 2. We meet her again in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. This woman who comes to faith and joins the community of faith of Israel is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 when it says that Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. We're talking about a prostitute, a Canaanite woman. This is a woman living in Jericho in 1200 B.C. that is mentioned here in the Gospels 
Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. King David, upon whom the messianic promise would come. That there would be a Messiah that would come from this line and this line alone to bring redemption for the entire world. And one woman is part of that. And you would think this woman is not going to amount to anything. And yet we learn about faith through the life of this woman. And so as we approach our text this morning, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a personal question. I've asked it before, but I want to ask it again. Do you think God has a unique and special purpose for your life? Now, don't disqualify that. And don't don't just dismiss it because you've heard it before. A lot of people say that. I mean, seriously, do you really believe that you have a role in God's kingdom and you can look back and see that your life had this special meaning and purpose as you think about God and your relationship to God. I mean, when you find it, every bone in your body screams that this is what I was meant to do. Like Rahab, like Martin Luther King, like so many others that we read about in history. One individual changing, impacting others. And in this case, for redemptive history. The question is for you, do you believe that? Rahab demonstrates a Canaanite woman, a prostitute outside of the community of Israel, comes to faith and finds a unique purpose and plays a role in redemptive history for all times. And so we can learn a lot about this woman. Moving forward with God, bringing God's rest to all people, we find that God is so much more than simply about entering into a battle. And we think of the conquest and we think that God is a warmonger and Israel's come in to occupy somebody's land and so many skeptics raise questions about the text and about Israel and the nature of God because God seems to condone this activity. We talked about that in genocide last week and we're going to continue to, to struggle with that. But yet early in the text, in the narrative, we don't find a God a warmongering God, a God of justice, a God of of punishing evil. We find a merciful, loving God who reaches out and cares for one individual in this community and it impacts all of her family for all generations. We find something totally different about God at the beginning of our narrative of describing a conquest. And it should change and reframe our thinking about Israel and about this particular historical context. It's about his love. It's about entering into a faith relationship with God and seeing what God does in your life. Because faith brings purpose. Faith brings purpose. And so let's take a look at this woman. And I really, I seriously just want to look at two things. Last week I went a little long. I was reminded by those that love me most. And one in particular who will not be named says, it's, I, all I can tell you how long you went because all I have to do is go to the recording and that recording doesn't lie. But I had to give an introduction of the whole series. I talked about the vision of 2017 for the church and chapter one all in one message. So I think I did a pretty good job in 45 minutes. 
Come on. So this morning, we're going to be a little bit shorter, and I really only have two points, and it's the two points that I want to talk about, about faith produces purpose in your life. Two components of faith, and here they are. Rahab, the Canaanite woman, the prostitute, a Gentile, a foreigner, an outsider that joins the community of faith represents the opening of the community of faith for all. And there are two things. Faith is, number one, standing with God when everything else is going in the opposite direction. And second of all, faith releases God's love. That's what faith does. And we learn that from this woman. So if you're in Joshua chapter 2, I began reading, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim. And they are saying, basically, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, came into the house of the harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told by the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring those men out that have come to you who have entered into your house. They've come to search out all of our land. But the woman had taken the two men, hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they went. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, hidden them in the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, therefore, they lay down, and she came up to them on the roof. And I'm going to stop there. This is a woman that demonstrates faith. And I want to, dem- I want to talk about this faith as standing against, with God against all opposition, against everything moving in another direction. Faith is standing with God. And it's, I want to talk about the stages of her faith. Because as we read the text, we learn these unique characteristics of biblical faith by studying her life. And it's, it, it's faith in stages. And so the first stage here in this passage, in the first few verses, is that we see that she welcomes the spies. See, that's an act of faith. Because by welcoming the spies, and by not turning them in as the king desired covering for them, hiding them. She welcomes them. She is welcoming their God. She has decided to place her loyalty and trust in whom they serve as opposed to the community that she's from and whom they serve. Do you see that? That as she welcomes them, it's the first stage of faith in her life. It's an act of loyalty. You become loyal to what you most believe in. And then you notice in this text, she just didn't hide them. She took them to the upstairs. This is a woman that lived by the opening of the gate of the city of Jericho. And it was probably a tavern of some sort. It was a, it was a way station. It might be a place where you go as a stranger traveling and you come into this new city. It's the place you go. Maybe you get a meal. But she, we also know that she was a prostitute. We don't know a lot about this, whether she was forced into this by her religion or she chose this, but we know that she was part of a larger family. She had a father and a mother. She had brothers and sisters. 
verse 12 reminds us of that. And so she was part of a community within a community. And yet she was part of this place where people would come and and the spies go there first, meet her, and she sees them and her first act is to change loyalty. And she hides them upstairs where her family lives. The most intimate part of the home is where they live. This is the most private part of a person's life. And she invites the spies into that part of her life as an act of loyalty. That is faith. Faith is choosing to be loyal to something other than what is most important to you in this life. And you decide it's now going to be God. You've decided that your greatest loyalty is to God. It reminds me of the story of one of the the men that we met when we, the Martin, we went down to the Martin house last December down in Los Angeles and we were able to connect and meet with some of these men that have coming, they're coming out of prison 20, 30 years of prison. Many of them, life sentences, have been released and they find their way to the Martin house where they're being discipled and encouraged and they get a year of food and place to live and they're being discipled in Christ and giving opportunity to learn a new career. And I met Oscar. Oscar told me his life story. How he had realized that he had become literally an animal in prison. He said, I was in the shoe. And I said, what's the shoe? It's, it says, he says, you've heard of the, the hole. Within a prison, there's a hole, which is where the dangerous inmates are. He says, there's a shoe within the hole. And that's where I was. I was the most dangerous in the prison. And that's where I was put. I was part of a gang. Put out hits on other people. And I realized I had become an animal. And someone preached the gospel, and Oscar decided to change loyalty. And he sent word from the shoe to the gang and said, I am no longer serving you. I am serving God. And he knew in that moment it was a death sentence. But he was willing to change loyalty for something that he put his faith in that was greater than what he had already. And his life changed. He's out now. And I tell you, you meet this man and you sense he has a new loyalty in his life. He has changed his life. I just texted him the other day and I said, I'm looking forward to seeing you again and praying for you this morning. He says, thank you. I need, I need prayer. I need prayer all the time, but I cannot wait to connect with you. I mean, this is a man that served, was serving a life sentence in prison, is out with a new purpose. And so I think it begins, faith begins with a shift in loyalty. But second of all, what we find here is that now Rahab discusses what she knows about God. And the second stage of faith is putting your faith not just in hearsay, but in what you know to be true. The works of God. Faith is always based upon the work of God. And as one commentator says... Where there is knowledge, there is greater faith. And the more you know, the greater your faith will become. And so we find here, Rahab begins. So she brings them, hides them. The men pursue them. And now she comes to them and says to them in verse 9, by the way, the longest uninterrupted narrative ever by a woman in the Old Testament. We're about to read it. I mean, don't get in the way of this woman. Listen to what she has to say. A Canaanite prostitute of disrepute of disrepute speaks the longest narrative in the old testament about god from a woman and she says 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror you, that, you has, that has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you go, before you came into Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We heard it. Our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. This is the right God. This is the God I've been looking for. I've heard of the the works of God, and this is the God. It reminds me of Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, that the people poised to go into the land needed to remember one thing. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written according to it, and then you will find success. Meditate is to remind yourself of the works of God. Grow in your knowledge of God. Pick up a book on the knowledge of God. Grow in your knowledge of God. It is a part of your faith. And so Rahab demonstrates her understanding. She had heard the stories. She saw it. She experienced it with her own eyes. She saw the fear of people, fearing God himself. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. It comes from a, from a truth. Our faith is based upon what we know to be true of God's word. And Rahab describes that. But the third stage is that Rahab demonstrates a faith by risking her life and what is most important in her life. It is one thing to trust after you know the outcome. That's not faith. Trust and faith is not knowing the outcome. It's quite another to trust and knowing, but you don't know what's going to happen. She had no idea. The king would have pursued her. If they had been found, she would have been killed. Her family would have been killed. I mean, she knew that God was moving in, didn't want to get in the way of that. There was a lot of risk. She put her life and her family's life on, on right, right out there. And she knew that was the next step of her faith. Her lie could have costed her life. A lot of people ask the question, well, is it ethical? Was it ethical for her to lie? Well, it's, it's again, another mystery to this passage. It can't be condoned, but it most certainly is an element of her demonstration of faith in that she renounces her allegiance to the Canaanite people and their religion and turns her heart to God. It reminds me of the secret believers in Muslim countries today. We were in Cairo many years ago with Open Doors, and we met some of these Muslim people that had come to faith in Jesus, but they remained part of the Muslim community, Muslim families. The part of the Muslim structure or or culture because they realize in order to come out as Christian would cost them their lives. It would instantly cost them their lives. It is not only illegal to preach the gospel to someone unless they ask for the message in a Muslim country, but it is also illegal to convert. And they know that, and they know the risk, and we sat and we we talked with them, and, and they're fully integrated into their community, and they love their family, and they love their people, and they're very much a part of that, but they embrace the God, the creator God, the, the God of Jesus Christ. And they, and they, and 
And there they are in the midst of that community as secret believers. And so it reminds me now Rahab having to be secret, but realizing there's great risk. And there is risk. It's, it's the act of discipleship that Jesus talks about in Matthew when he says, if anyone wants to come and be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. There will be a death. There is something very, very risky about following Jesus, not only in the first century, but today as well. Relationally risky. Relationally risky for us because Jesus goes on to say in Matthew ten thirty seven, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Isn't it interesting that one of the greatest costs of following Jesus and putting your faith in him is a relational cost? It's relationally tricky in family structures, family networks, in communities, in, in particular countries. It's not easy. It is not easy coming out as a follower of Christ. And Jesus realized that and said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he uses some very strong language and says, You must hate them in order to love me. He doesn't really mean hate your family. But when you love Jesus more than anything else, everything else it doesn't look the same, does it, at all? So there's a massive risk in this. But then there's another level Another stage of her faith, and that comes in verse 12. Now, for, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt hesed, kindness. I have given you a blessing. Hesed is, is the act of blessing another person by, by showing a covenant loyalty to them. That's what the word means. As I have shown that to you as spies, I ask that you do that to me. And that you save me and my family and deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So they make this covenant in verse 14 all the way to 24. The rest of the chapter is working out of the relationships that when Israel comes in and they see the red ribbon on your home, anyone in that home will be spared. And what I realize about faith is the final stage of faith is realizing within faith there is a reward. God's promises always come with a reward. Hebrews eleven six says it is impossible to please God without faith. You cannot please God unless you have faith. You need biblical faith in order for God to be pleased with you. And then it goes on, he who believes in God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. See, within faith is realizing who God is and that God rewards faith. See, a lot of people think, well, God, it's really hard to be a Christian because there's a lot of demands and there's really no reward. It's just God trying to force you into a lifestyle that's contrary to really what you want. I mean, it's narrow and it's, it doesn't look very appealing. And yet what we find in Scripture is the exact opposite. All throughout the Bible are promises of God, and every promise, there's a, there's a reward attached to it. If you do this, there is great reward for you. I will be pleased with you. There will be blessing, and, and you really will like the outcome. Joshua 1.8, you, you obey the word of God. You meditate on it. You do according to all that it says, and then you will find success. Psalm chapter 1, same thing. Blessed is the man or woman who, what does he do? He just... He just 
he just continues to marinate in the word of God. And then his tree looks like, or her tree looks like it's, it's in full bloom with fruit all over it. And that's the picture of a Christian who recognizes there's great reward. And so there is this amazing reward, and she knows it. And she wants that reward. Because what we realize, the reward is that this woman's life is spared and her family's life for all generations moving forward. And sure enough, she marries, joins the relationship, joins the community of Israel, and becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Her life has meaning. So, in summary of this first point, I learned four things about biblical faith from this woman. Reverence, response, risk, and reward. Those are the four elements of biblical faith. There they are. Reverence to God. Response based upon who God is. Risk. There's always a risk. And there's a reward. True biblical faith has all four components. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you desire that kind of faith? The second thing, and this is the exciting part of Joshua chapter 2, in summary... When you look back and you step back and you go, oh my goodness, this woman responds with faith. What's going on here? These spies were going in to get intel about their conquest and come in to conquer Joshua, Jericho. And yet what we find is something else happens. This woman comes to faith. And it's the demonstration of God's love. Faith releases God's love for all people. For all times. No matter who you are. No matter what country you're from. No matter what society you've been a part of. Or faith that you have. Faith releases God's love. And I love that. Here in the center of this or the beginning of this narrative on the conquest. We discover not a God of war. Not a God of judgment or hate. But a God of love. He is releasing his love through Rahab's response of faith. And so when we think about the spies, they were going in, of course, to get intel. But we realize that under all that, instead, they conveyed the hope of deliverance to any who would receive them. The story of Rahab confirms God's welcome to all people, whatever their condition. Christ died for all the world. And the opportunity is available for all to come to him. You know, Bill reminded me of Google. And every year, they put out a short video of the the, the compilation of all the searches that people do around the world. What's on people's mind? And they kind of try to find an idea or a thought or a common idea or or, or what people are going after. And and in two, 2000, I, I looked at 2016, and then it, it jumps you to 2015 and 2014. So I watched several of those. And in 2015, what I discovered was that people were searching for togetherness. We are not one person. It is about all of us. We are all different. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. We can do this, but we have to do this together. Was really the main idea through Google in 2015. You know what it is in 16? Anybody see it? In 2016, love is, love is, love is, love is that cannot be killed or swept aside. Love gives us hope that change is possible. 
take away the labels, you realize we are far more alike than different. This should impact us. This is what people are screaming for. This is what people want. They want love. They want God's love. And we have an opportunity as the community of faith to give it out. This is who we are. And we see that in this passage in Joshua 2. When Rahab comes to faith, it's the releasing of God's love to a woman who doesn't deserve it, didn't earn it, totally outside of the the community of faith of Israel. And yet she's brought in. Which reminds us of the gospel, which also reminds us of the heart of God. And that's what people need to hear. Oh my goodness, that is so rich. The world is screaming out for love. This should scare away a skeptic or an antagonist or a critic that claims God is simply a god or a war. Or a god who does not deserve to be a god of the universe, the cosmos, or the human of all of humanity. We need another god or no god at all because he's not a loving god. This passage on the life of Rahab screams of God's love and contradicts the skeptics in the world today. And should stand as a message to us from Mark chapter 12. The, the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second, love your neighbor. And then Jesus follows it with the parable of the, of the Samaritan who loves an enemy in the Jewish community that hates him and yet shows love by sacrifice in his life. Is that not a picture of the gospel and a picture of God? Rahab represents for us God's inclusion of all people. Anyone willing to put their faith in God. Bill was telling me a story about when he was part of a private school before he came here to the river. He was working with a Christian school and students and would take them down to Hollywood to help sort through clothing that was donated to this organization that would help clothe kids off the street kids that have run away from home, many from the LBGT community that have lost their way. And yet many of those kids have come from a gay lifestyle and there they find refuge and they find someone caring for them with clothing and, and concern. And, and Bill brings these Christian kids and some of the parents are like, I don't know whether we want to do this and, and interact and mix. And yet is that not a message to the world today? Those kinds of opportunities of saying, we want to join with you and show God's love. There's no judgment in this. There is love. There's full love and understanding. And we just love people. Just love people. Just love people. Why is that not continuing to be the call of the church? We find that in Jonah 3. The king of Nineveh, an entire nation, set aside because of their wickedness, God was to destroy them, and yet he comes to faith he kneels and he repents and the whole nation is saved. Reminds me of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Philip finds this guy on the road who's from Ethiopia and he's reading the Old Testament and he's desiring seeking God and Philip preaches the gospel and baptizes him. He comes to faith and goes back to Ethiopia. That's the message. That's really the message of hope. That is what God is calling us to. And so I leave you with two questions. Here's the two questions that I wrote about faith. Number one is, what is faith costing you? Because faith is valuable. If you, if you have a cheap faith, it's not going to produce anything. 
Your faith is very valuable. And your faith has to be of weight. There has to be something. Risk. There's a reward. There's a response. And there's a reverence. We know that. That's what your faith is. Is that the kind of faith you have? Because that's the kind of faith you need in order to find a greater purpose of your life. And I know that as I look around and see so many things happening, one of the great and exciting things happening in our church in 2017 is we're going to finally bring on our fourth fourth full-time pastor at the River Church. We have three full-time people right now, 10 years into this thing. We have three full-time, several part-time. We're going to bring our fourth person, and it's this person is going to be devoted to mission and outreach, giving it a whole new shape, a whole new design, a whole new approach as we move into the community, as we move into the inner city and around the world. We need to do this. It's why God has called us here. And it is going to be so exciting. And this is our next hire. And it's going to happen. So that's question number one. Question number two is, do you see how offering faith to others shows God's love. Offering faith to others is showing God's love. And how are you going to do that? There's a lot of ways. And we're going to be doing that together as a church. But as I look around, God's already given you, many of you, a mission. And you just keep going on that faith. You just keep marching forward. Let's pray. So, Father... We, as a people of God, are, we're just in awe that um, here in this amazing section of Scripture, we find your compassion, your love, your concern for this, even this lowly woman, who now is elevated to a place of, even if the Hebrew, the hall of faith of Hebrews 11, that this is a woman of faith, we want that same faith. It's not just a story. It's, it's our story. We pray, God, this morning that it would become our story, that we would, we would live in that through a faith that trusts you no matter what. So this morning, we might be a little farther away than we used to be, and we want to just come right back to you. Maybe we're being introduced to a, to a God of love this morning like we've never seen it before, and we just want to open up our heart to you just do that. Maybe some of us are making a new commitment this year, stretching our faith. I pray for this congregation that we would become men and women, young people, high schoolers, junior hires of great faith in the South.